0: Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Well, as I mentioned, we've got the man in studio. What a pleasure to have him. He's been here before, Errol Sweeney. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. He comes to South Africa now and again from the Emerald Isle. And just speaking to some of my young colleagues here, I realized that maybe they weren't as screwed up. They kind of have an idea who the hanging judges. These are... Guys who were born, some of them after nineteen ninety six, so <laughs> we remember all those years ago. But maybe some of the younger uh, men don't, and men and women don't. Uh, Errol, thank you so much uh, for your time. You're very welcome. Great to be here. So maybe just in to, as 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 a as a means of starting, we'll go over it one more time. For those who who don't know or are too young to remember or weren't even born then, how did you end up in South Africa, and end up becoming one of the most loved and maybe sometimes most hated? Probably more hated than loved <laughs> I guess,
1: <laughs> but that's okay, I can live with that. <laughs>
0: Referees, how did you end up in South Africa?
1: <laughs> well, I suppose there's an expression they use nowadays, particularly with people coming into our country, Ireland, uh, that there are economic migrants. And I guess that's what I was here, because in the 80s there was um, serious unemployment in Ireland. I'm talking about the Republic of Ireland now, Southern Ireland, not Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. And um, my sister had been here three, four years, five years, and uh, I'd been communicating with her. uh, And she said, look, there's work here. If you want to work, come on out here. You'll get work. And uh, I just up and left and took a wife and four children. We came out here with a, a suitcase full of clothes, a head full of dreams and five pounds. What? Yep. And uh, But we had somewhere to stay, we stayed with her and um, went from day to day, literally looking for work and so on, because then of course I needed a a um, work permit. So I had to get a temporary work permit first, then I had to get a full work permit, then I had to get uh, temporary residence, then I had to get permanent residence, and eventually then I took out uh,
0: citizenship. So I actually have dual citizenship, South African and Irish. And and, and mm-hmm. what were you qualified to do? What was in your mind when you came to South Africa? That, that I'm I'm looking for work in a particular area, or I'm just looking for work. I was just looking for work, and I have to
1: tell you, South Africa was very 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 good to me, uh, in many ways, uh, because um, I various jobs. I was selling cars, and I was I worked at the Old Gay Bazaars in, in Market Street ah, in Johannesburg yes. for a while. <laughs> I, I I I'm a musician. So I was playing music. Okay, and, uh, I did not know that. Yeah, when I was when I was um, when I was uh, selling cars, the phone rang one day, and on the other end was this Irish voice, and I said, "Hey." Who's that, you know? And he said, oh, you're Irish. I said, yeah, so you. Yeah. And blah, blah, blah. One thing led to another. He was looking for a, for a minibus for the band to load all the equipment and so on and so on. And he said, do you play music? I said, yes, I do. Do you sing? I said, yes, I do. He said, will you come and have an audition? And so I joined what was then known as the Beer Mugs Band. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, it wasn't, wasn't just like a touring. pop bag, doing some, some touring and <clears throat> playing, was, playing some... some
1: old Irish uh, uh, folk songs. Very good. And uh, well, what I'm saying, South Africa was good to me because um, I moved on from there then and I went into Western Deep Levels,
0: Gold Mine, oh, yes. which is Anglo-Ald, as a sports and recreation officer. I remember that the, those guys on the mines were responsible for so many, especially in athletics, athletes that came oh, through yeah, working, working with uh, the sports yeah. and recreation officers on the mines, especially yeah. in the late 80s. Yeah and so I was there and, but Anglo-American were
1: very good to the people uh, it didn't matter what colour you wear what race you wear what religion nothing they were very good to their workers and what they did was if you wanted to if there was a course or a diploma or even a degree associated with the job that you were doing they would encourage you to do it and they would give you the money to pay for the course and they stop it out of your salary every month and then if you passed they gave you all that money back wow I mean, there's no better incentive to try and pass. Mm-hmm. So literally, I came here with a primary certificate. I didn't even have a matric in Ireland because over there, you had to pay. And I came from a very poor family and my parents couldn't afford to pay. So once I reached the age of tw- 14,
0: um, I got a job. Yeah, and literally. you're talking about Irish. If, if you're tuning into the home straight, listening to this wonderful story being told by Errol Sweeney here on KAI FM 95.9... And you're thinking, oh, I mean, this, this, this sounds incredible that someone could come from Europe to Africa to escape um, poverty or to, as an economic migrant, as he says, do yourself a favor, read a book called Angela's Ashes. It's probably slightly before Errol's time. It goes back uh, maybe to the 50s and 40s where there was great um, um, famine even um, and people surviving on just potatoes and they were out of work. If you read that book, you'll begin to understand some of what he's talking about when he says he arrived in South Africa because he had been working since he was 12 or 14 without a matric certificate and then was able to further his studies at, uh, at Western Deep Level Mines. So then you decided to further your studies and you chose? Um, well, I had to, you had, it had to be associated
1: with the work that you were doing. So uh-huh. I, while I was in the sports department for a short while, uh, an opportunity came up in, the, in procurement, purchasing. And um, <clears throat> I moved over to there uh, and then of course that dealt, that was dealing with contracts and bills of quantities and tenders and so on and so on. So um, I initially got, uh, did a diploma at Pretoria University in, um, in purchasing management and then a chance came up to do a degree in business administration mm-hmm. and I took that and went for that. Um, I really struggled with the uh, the, the accountancy, (laughs) I really (laughs) battled with that, but I got through it, Um, and then, but I've always had an interest in people and the way people think, what people do, why they do it, etc., and and this opportunity came up to do uh, human behaviour, and I tried to convince the mind that it was important, you know, it was uh, relevant, but they weren't buying that. (laughs) (laughs) So I went ahead and did it anyway. Uh, I did it then I did the degree and the masters and then the PhD I did I started the PhD here and I finished it in Ireland or sorry in in London now it took me nine years to get it and in fact the thesis the dissertation took me two years and I was three times I said no I can't take this because each time the professor was sending it back and he was he was very petty and pernickety you know, if you said might be instead of maybe, for example, just using that as an example. No, 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 you're wrong. It should be been might be. You said maybe it should be. And he sent it back. And, and oh my, there was one time, four months, I said, I can't take this. I just left it. And my wife said to me, what are you doing? I said, I can't, I can't take this. This guy is so petty and pernicky." Uh, she said, but you're after coming all this way and you're going to give it up now. And that's the kick in the backside I needed, really. Um, but although in, in, in truth, I probably would have gone back to it anyway. Yeah. So I finally got it.
0: What a journey of, um, <laughs> of, 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 self-improvement, I guess, ultimately, and trying to be the best version of yourself that, yeah. that one can be. And, and in all of that, in all of this coming to South Africa, trying to find a job, trying to support a family, trying to improve yourself as a human being, then there was football.
1: Well, there was always football. Uh, even before my wife and I were married i went now 46 years married oh congratulations uh, yeah, 40 actually 47 now in march um there was always football and um there was always refereeing i i i i was a i played a little bit of football but at, at a very low level um and i was studying music also at the time uh, and by the way what instrument uh, guitar Oh guitar okay yeah. okay but i also play a bit of banjo and bass okay and um so I, I was tackled one day and I went down and I was preparing for an exam on the piano uh, and I went down and sort of sprained my hand and I thought, oops, maybe that's a lesson. So I stopped playing then and a, f- a very good friend of mine um, encouraged me to go into refereeing and I said, oh, well, you know, I mean I was oh, about 22 at the time. you know, and, Very young uh, man. I said, I, I started in the uh, I started in the 70-71 season to referee. That was my very first season, and um, so um, it's 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 like anything else. It's like golf. It's like whatever. It just grips you. It bites you. It's like running, as you know. I was the same. I loved running. I have done the comrades. I've did the Soweto Marathon. I've did, you know. i did all of that and loved it. So when, when that bug bites you. It's amazing. It just won't let go. So I started refereeing and I worked my way up and I got onto the senior panel in in Ireland in 1975. And I was there. I only, unfortunately, only got one European uh, match. It was between Real Madrid and um, Honved from Hungary. Wow, that's still quite Uh, a game. Then I came out here Now I knew coming out here, my FIFA career was over. Because uh, it was during the apartheid, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And South Africa was banned and time was going on. So by the time they came out of that and that ban was lifted, I was too old for the FIFA list mm-hmm. because they they, um, they recruit you quite young. So I was too old for that. So then um, I continued refereeing at the PSL. And uh, I also then started a bit of mentoring and coaching uh, other referees. Uh, uh, Akma Sali uh, from Cape Town ran we the remember. line in the 1998. FIFA World Cup between France and Brazil. I was his coach and mentor. Uh, Even guys in recent times, Ari Soldatus, the -hmm. late Ian McLeod. Yes. Um, Jerome Damon. And then currently Jerome Damon, Enoch Malefe. I've been mentoring those guys all the time. A referee. What does it take to be a referee? Is is it a certain personality, Todd? I think it is. Um, Many people will say other things, but you've got to... Look... You've got to, first of all, you've got to have a neck like steel because you've got to be prepared to take what's coming at you. And, and by the way, there's nothing in the laws of the game that says the referee has to accept that kind of abuse. But they do. And human nature being what it is, if referees accept it, referees will get it. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a very simple philosophy. If you look for nonsense, you'll get it. If you take it, you deserve it. And I would never take it from anybody because I'm there to do a job, just like they are there to do a job. And they are there to play to this that I'm holding up in front of you now. This is the Bible of
0: um, soccer. It's and- the FIFA laws of the game. And we're going to put a photo of that up with him holding that book up um, because he's, he's earmarked so many pages. I see little sticky yeah. notes and, yeah. and all of that. It means that you are always reading that. Always reading. And, and new changes... Um, Come into being.
1: Uh, they, they've, oh my goodness, what have they done to the laws of the game now? They've really changed them. Uh, they revised the entire 17 laws and they shouldn't have because they've made too many changes at the one time. They went through, they went, revised the entire 17 laws. Now, a lot of people don't know. Let me give you one example. Uh-huh. So the game's going on and a coach. Uh, a coach runs onto the field, say for example, and assaults the, one of the opposing players, and that player goes down. What's the decision? Now, many people won't know this, so I won't waste too much time because we're on air. The decision is a red card, obviously, to the coach. Yes. Right. And depending on where the ball was when the assault took place, that's very, very important. Where was the ball when the assault took place? If that was in the penalty area, that's a penalty kick. Mm-hmm. That I didn't know. Now, if you do that, there will be uproar. But you see, this is the problem. All these changes have been made, and they have not been explained to the teams. And so, the public, more importantly, well, who are that's, sitting that's in the stands. Correct. Yeah. Who will cause no, they're mayhem. going to go crazy. Yes. If the ball is in the center circle around there, then you give the free kick. ...to the opposing team where the, where the uh, ball was at the time. If it was out for a throw, then it's a throw-in. If it went out for a corner kick, then it's a corner kick. If it went out for a goal kick, then it's a goal kick. So it's where the ball was at the time. And if it was in the penalty area, it's a penalty. Now people will go crazy and say, why are you doing that? Why is it a penalty? How can it be a penalty? Well, it's very simple. A player has been assaulted by a member of the opposition... Ah, Now that member of the opposition could be a player Substitute, coach, technical staff Anybody And that's the way they've done it now But that hasn't been explained Hmm
0: it's the home of the Afropolitan, Kai, fm 959 We're getting a lesson, a lesson from the hanging judge, Errol Sweeney. And you can follow me on Twitter at Musi Whitehead M-O-S-I Whitehead. We will put up a photo. He's holding up the book of the laws of the game. And he put up a photo as well. You can follow him at Errol underscore Sweeney, Errol E-R-R-O-L underscore Sweeney, S-W-E-N-E-Y, of him riffing a game way back when between Morocco Swallows and Jomo Cosmos. And um, we'll talk about some of those memories. You can give us a call if you have some of your own, 086-00-00959, 86 959 to talk to Errol Sweeney. He joins us here in studio as we go down memory lane A, but B, also learn a little bit more about what some of these men in the middle go through. I know some of you will want to ask him about time added on. How much is too much? Can you add more time in the referee's additional added time that he's already added if something happens in those four minutes and now it becomes five, six, seven minutes? Oh eight six double zero double zero nine five nine. We can uh, talk to Errol Sweeney here and go down memory lane as he shares some of his memories with us and educates us on all matters about the laws of the game.
1: I love my city. I am Afropolitan. Afropolitan.
0: Kai FM 95.9
1: the home
0: straight the home straight kaya fm 95.9 25 past eight on kaya fm 95.9 thanks for tuning into the home straight my name is musibudi whitehead stay tuned because coming up a little bit later on here on the show where we administer the message of the transformative power of sport our man down in durban Tatisakum simango caught up with the 2012 london olympics bronze medalist bridget hartley Remember, she got that uh, bronze medal in the canoeing and um, she's hoping to go to Tokyo 2020 as we build up to the Tokyo Olympic Games. And Tate did a fabulous interview with her talking about how she ended up in canoeing in the first place. And she also has uh, some advice for those up and coming. Remember, the doozy canoe marathon not far away coming up towards the end of February. So she's hoping to participate there as well as she looks to change from a sprinter now to more of the longer distance stuff as she gets a little bit older. Bridget Hartley, a lovely interview that Tata did with her coming up a little bit later. You can find me on Twitter at Musi Whitehead on Facebook, Musibudi Whitehead, where we are sharing some memories here. In particular, let me say shout-out to Lebohang at Mapinzo, who has got his knowledge on point. Errol Sweeney, our guest in studio, the hanging judge, as he was, uh, well, notoriously known, shall I say, Puts up a photo of him uh, referring a, a, a match between Maidas Cosmos and Morocco Swallows, and uh, there Mapinzo at Mapinzo on Twitter is giving us all the facts and figures, uh, saying that ah uh, oh, he red carded Brian Robson in a friendly off-season encounter. The hanging judge taking no prisoners, and then he, he replies, does the Errol saying, I sure did. Sunday the twenty-fifth of July, nineteen ninety-three. No regrets, none. Do you remember how many red cards you, you handed out to over your, over your years?
1: No, I don't. And I never <laughs> kept a record. And I never held grudges uh, against anybody who got a red card. No, absolutely not. Let me give you just one example. I was going down to um To, to um, not Potschestrum, but Val Reefs. Okay, yes. And when they were in the, in the Premier League way back when Sheikhs uh, Mashabu was the coach. And uh, they were playing Cosmos in uh, the Oppenheimer Stadium in uh, Val Reefs. And I was driving down, and um, uh, at the lights in one of the small towns, stopped at the red lights, and who pulled up beside me but uh, Jomo Sono. <laughs> and he rolled down the window and he said, Oh, Sweeney, you're doing our game today. I said, Yes, Jomo. Oh, then I'm not playing masinga Phil Masinga was still here. The time. I said, Why not? He said, No, uh, he's only one booking away from a, from a suspension, and I need him next week for the cup. And I said, Jomo... If he behaves himself, he'll be fine. If he doesn't behave himself, he won't be fine. Simple as that. It's very simple. It's not in my hands at all. It's in your hands or his hands if he behaves himself. He brought him on in the second half, and everything was fine. He behaved himself. So, you know, I
0: never set out to and book wasn't anything. that a the, red card. Wasn't that the year that in the cup final, he scored the late Filmer singer
1: uh, Yeah, he's late
0: now. No, yeah, no. The, I think he scored a brace or... or um, they, I think they faced Kaiser Chiefs in that cup final, and Jomo, and, and, and Jomo Cosmos may have won. Uh, I think it's uh, maybe 1991 sure, yeah. or something like that. But I'll yeah. scratch my memory bank, and if you <laughs> know what I'm talking about, as I try and search my mind, oh eight six double zero double zero nine five nine. So no, no, no n- never held any grudges. None whatsoever. Um,
1: I never said a red card to that guy last time. Now I haven't got. Never, ever, ever. I always and I, I. I'm looking up to God now. He will be my judge. I never held a grudge against any player or any team. What start every game
0: with a clean sheet? On, on starting every game on a clean slate. Over the years, come, We've come to know. Oh, this is a dirty player. This is someone we must watch. I mean, um, it happens all over the world where certain players are then are then labelled as dirty players. And sometimes, maybe even when they are not being uh, making a dirty challenge then they'll get a yellow card that a so-called clean player might get away with did you ever find that it was um uh, difficult sometimes to erase what has what had happened in the past when you when you would look at the at the facts as they were unfolding in front of you
1: not at all not at all never crossed my mind there was w- one player who in this country who was always difficult to keep an eye on that was um uh, um jerry scosana thunderlegs was it yeah legs of thunder legs of thunder yeah And you had to watch him all the time because he'd get up to all kinds of tricks. Now, I do know he wasn't necessarily a dirty player, but he'd get up to tricks behind your back and things like that. Uh, But no, I never never held any grudges against anybody. Never, never,
0: never. Before we went to the break, we spoke about you were educating us about some of the laws and the laws that have changed, giving us an example of uh, perhaps a coach assaulting uh, an opposition player and what that would mean. Talk to us about referees additional time because it is always a contentious contentious issue this weekend we saw kaiser chiefs beating uh golden arrows by a goal to nil the goal coming in the 94th and something so the 95th minute mm-hmm. when there was supposed to be four minutes of added time and others oppositions other fans are like ah oh, but where does the extra time come on can the referee is it his at his or her prerogative to give more additional time especially if maybe something happens Yep. In that initial additional time, so called
1: injury time or time added on belongs to the half of which is in which it occurred. So at the end of the 45 minutes, if there was an injury or whatever, you add on that time there. Then you start the second 45 uh, clean, as it were. And any time that uh, any time lost in that 45 minutes is added on that takes care of the 90 minutes. Now, in the time added on, assuming let's use a figure of three minutes. If time is lost in that three minutes, that's also added on mm-hmm. to the to the original three minutes. So a player could get a serious head injury in that three minutes, then suddenly the time has gone up to five minutes over. People say, what's happening? You have to add on all additional time. Can I just clarify one thing? Because there was a huge outcry about this. Mm-hmm. I write... Um, in the City Press? It, Hmm? Uh, uh, no, yeah. continue. I write a column for the City Press yes. every Sunday, and there was, an in, there was an instance where players wanted to wear uh, arm, brace, arm bracelets, arm wristlets, uh, what do you call them? Uh, yeah, a little brace, like bracelets. With stuff written on yeah. it, yeah. The, the law clearly states they're not, and I know there are cultural reasons for people wearing these and so on. The law says they're not allowed to wear anything whatsoever bracelets, earrings, necklaces, uh, rings
0: in your nose, in your ears, nothing. So you're Absolutely. talking about an incident re- relating to one of the players down in KZN who was wearing his pantla, which right. is a, 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 a traditional Zulu uh, bracelet yes. made out of, uh, of, of animal hide. Yes. Yes.
1: The law clearly states nothing. They're not allowed to wear anything whatsoever like that.
0: So I guess the issue here and if we get into it, if you're listening, we're talking to Errol Sweeney and you can go down memory lane with us by giving us a call on 086-00-00959. Otherwise, you can hit us up on Twitter where lots of people are joining in the conversation at Errol underscore Sweeney is where you find him and I'm at Musi Whitehead. I guess the main thing here is knowledge of the laws of the game because in that instant where you're talking about is Pantla. The player in question said he had been playing with these Pindlers in the lower tiers. And it had never been an issue. Um, and and now all of a sudden he felt he had been victimized because now the referee was asking him to remove it. Are, are referees, especially those in the lower tiers, doing enough to know, or referees in general, know the knowledge, or know all the laws of the game in, in your well, opinion?
1: Uh, I don't know if they are or if they're not. But uh, that responsibility lies with the local Referees Association. It's their job to teach the guys that. And if the, if this guy was being was being allowed to wear uh, this uh, bracelet, the
0: referee was wrong, and mm-hmm. the referee who said take it off was correct. And that is the law. Mm-hmm. So talk to us a little bit, Errol, then about some more of those laws because today is the twenty seventh of January. On this day, back in nineteen ninety six, for those of you who remember, John Shoes Mushwe and Mark Fish were on the score sheet. As Bafana Bafana beat Algeria by two goals to one In the quarterfinals of the Africa Cup of Nations They would go on to win that Africa Cup of Nations And uh, although he, he didn't referee there at an AFCON or a World Cup I wonder, do you sometimes think of what might have been?
1: Oh yeah, all the time All the time um, It's one of my biggest regrets in life That I never got on to the full FIFA list one of my biggest regrets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's one of those things. I've come to accept it. Um, circumstances were such that um, I couldn't stay where I was in Ireland, where I probably would have made it. Um, but I had a wife and children to look after and to feed and to put a roof on their, over their heads. And, and that, um, that sort of got me out here. You know, if I stayed mm-hmm. in Ireland, I don't know what would have happened. You know, maybe I, I, maybe I wouldn't have got on. But I was, I was so dedicated um, to refereeing then, and I'm still as dedicated and as passionate about refereeing today as I was then. And I often say the coaches, uh, you know, they go uh, day after day they're out coaching the players and the training and so. My God, why would they do that? And then I say, Whoa, <laughs> you're, you're doing the same with with uh, with referees. So yeah. I do understand it. So it's like any passion you have. Uh, be it golf or tennis or running or whatever, or refereeing, I'm still as... And when I watch a game,
0: I'm watching the referee. I'm I'm re- hardly ever watching the game. I'm watching the referees. And I see some of your comments, especially about the refereeing controversies that happen around the world, be it the Champions League or even here at home in the PSL. So with that passion, you were doing some some speaking events, you were doing some, some training. What are you doing now um, in terms of upskilling the next generation of referees aside from those that you may be mentoring?
1: Unfortunately, nothing. Mm -hmm. Nothing? Uh, I remember you had had a manual that you were... This is something I drew up myself about uh, how to improve refereeing and so on. And I did give, uh, I delivered a paper here at an African conference in 2014, I think. uh, And it was all about refereeing in the 21st century, which was very well received. Now, there weren't many referees there. There were mainly other Guys uh, interested in different aspects of football, be it coaching, be it marketing, etc., and the business area of it. But, but uh, I'm not involved as much as I would love to be. I would absolutely love. It's my dream job to be a head of referees or director of referees to train uh, I, as I have done, guys up to World Cup level and including a World Cup final with uh, with uh, Ahmed Sali from from Cape Town in the. Ninety-eight, as we mentioned earlier. That
0: that would be my dream job, but nobody seems to want me. We'll talk a little bit about, um, uh, you, you speak about that paper on uh, refereeing in the 21st century. We can't talk about that without talking about technology yeah. and your views on technology because uh, the VAR is something that a lot of PSL fans are calling for. Would it be a good thing? Would it be a bad thing? We've heard from the league about the cost of it. Uh, but what do you think? That is the question. But first, let's take a, a caller here. Oh, the previous presenter, she's driving home listening to the home of the Afropolitan on 086 Dr. Cindy. Hi, Mr. Woody. So the question I have is how do referees keep fit? Because when I watch football, um, I see them running more than the players. So how do they keep fit and they change something yeah, the line is not great. We're having some issues with our lines, but I think we got the gist of it. How how do you keep fit? Thank you, thank you, Doctor Cindy.
1: Well, I I trained myself. I tra- rather I trained with myself only because I I had been. Um, in a referees association, obviously, in Ireland. And, you know, guys used to train on their own. And then somebody came up with a bright idea, you know, let's train every Tuesday and Thursday, and then we'll have our game on the Saturday or the Sunday. Uh-huh. And it was great. The Tuesday, everybody turned up. On the Thursday, only half the people turned up. <laughs> and the next Tuesday, the other half turned up. And I said, guys, this is not for me. I used to train four times a week, sometimes five. And I mean, what kind of training? Mostly running. Okay. And I do my own stretching and exercising and um, uh, um, strengthening the the stomach, stomach muscles and, and, and stuff like that. All that, that stuff, yeah. yeah. I did my own, but it was mainly running, and that's how I built up my stamina. How important is fitness for a referee? Hundred percent. Couldn't be more important. Now, I mean, there were there were great guys in the past, no names mentioned, who were, who could run like a gazelle, but they couldn't referee. So it's all about having a mixture of both and not having too much of one and too little of the other. You've got to have any... An, an, if you're very fit and you're very um, up-to-date with the laws of the game, then you'll climb. I mean, cream always comes to the top. And if you are good at what you do and you're dedicated and you're seen to be dedicated, it's all about being professional. Now, I remember doing an interview in 1992... When they were talking about professional referees And I said, it's not about professional referees It's about referees with a professional attitude Can one be?
0: Yes Without,
1: without getting paid for it? I was hmm. I was And we got very little My very first game here was 1985 And I ran the line to Stan Swart in Linville in uh, Witbank, And I got 22 rand the guys today are getting four and a half thousand Euro, uh, rand, the okay. middlemen. Yeah, so I guess it's a. So it's not about, you know, it's all about professionalism, smartness, tidiness, fitness. And if you're dressed well, then you've half the battle. You've only got to go and do the job that you look like you've came, come to do.
0: Let's talk about VAR and other technological innovations good or bad or case by case how do we how do we view them
1: look it's got it's here to stay and people are complaining and bitching and crying about it it's here to stay why because the managers and the coaches and the teams and the spectators want it they're the ones who said they want it because referees are making too many mistakes and and maybe yes referees do make mistakes but you know, that's human nature and humans make mistakes. Now, at the on the other side of the coin is the fact that it's important that justice is not only done, but seen to be done. Mm. It's very, very important because there's a lot of money and one point or one goal can obviously can win a game, that can win you the league, or it can cause you to be relegated. So it's important. Now, they're complaining about it now, but it's amazing how... Who, or rather who is complaining about it the teams that it goes against they're complaining about it the teams whom it goes for no problem now they either want it or they don't want it Seems like they want the cake and they want to eat it too.
0: <laughs> it's the home of their propolitan, Kai FM 95.9, nine, twenty to 9, and what an engaging conversation we're having with Errol Sweeney. Unfortunately, we are running out of time, so we are going to have to wrap it up because we've got an interview with Bridget Hartley that we've also got planned. A uh, Soweto Derby coming up in the not-too-distant future. And as you share some of these wonderful photos that you do, I'll encourage you to follow him on social media, Errol Sweeney, your memory of the Soweto derby. Do you remember your very first? Yes. Where? When? Take us down memory lane. About eighty-seven, eighty-eight.
1: hmm It was Chiefs and Pirates in the old stadium with just the seating, you know, the seating.
0: <laughs> Do you remember that? It's there. Oh, my god. And where the fans god. are right <laughs> close to the field and they can run yeah. on at any time. And you have people sitting on the touchline. Yeah.
1: And, um... And I sent off Mandela Satoli from Pirates. Me? <laughs> are you a Pirate's son?
0: I'm just imagining. I'm just imagining.
1: <laughs> I booked him in the first half because he went in very hard on Chiefs' keeper, Peter Balak, uh-huh. And I booked him for that and I said, Now, doesn't matter where we are, my friend, next time I'm going to give you a second yellow or maybe a red. And make no mistake about it, I will give it to you. So everything was fine, went off at half time. Came back on five minutes into the second half, bang, he took out Dr. Kamalo right along the benches. Second yellow, red. Well, the place went crazy. <laughs> yeah.
0: How did you do that? Very <laughs> easy. I just pulled out the yellow and the red card. Uh, yeah, but you. Did say, I show you them? There they are. He's got the cards with him in studio. How do you pull out a red card right there, Escortini, with all those thousands of fans waiting? What happened after you pulled out the car? Oh, and the place went crazy.
1: But, I mean, I, I could, it's a pity we haven't got more time because I could tell you stories about being taken out of the, out of, out of H.M. Pitchy. And the, tell Ms.
0: us the H.M. Pitchy story. Oh, we need to
1: hear one of these stories. I was taken out of there in a, in a, in, um, a policeman's boot, in the boot of his car, um, Such was the ruckus uh, um, there that day. I had a bullet left in my hotel room in Bloemfontein that I went down to do a... A, a relegation battle that whoever lost was going down was to be relegated I got to the hotel I said to the manager don't tell anybody what uh, room I'm in don't tell them what floor I'm on don't even tell them I'm in the hotel he said no I won't when I got up to my room there was a bullet on my bedside table now it might have been left there by the previous occupant I don't know but the message was there I got a phone call at my work one time and said if, if swallows don't win you'll get a bullet in your face uh, I was assaulted down in Umtata um, by a fan, it ran onto the field, and it, if it wasn't for the late uh, Clarence Mlokoti, the Chiefs Director, I mightn't be here talking with you today. We were kept back for an hour and a half in the dressing room. Tembisa, Pirates and, and the old um, Arcadia Shepherds, mm-hmm. when I disallowed three goals on our, on, on Pirates, two were offside, the, the third one, and I hope he's listening tonight, Bashan Training,
0: training, school,
1: I said, Don't take that free kick until I step out the ten yards. No, I won't, Mr. Ref. I said, and I'm stepping out the ten yards. And as I'm nearly completed, Deshi Bakhtar, who was playing for Arcadia Shou- came keeper. running out, bang into me. I I didn't fall down, he fell down, the ball went in the net. People wanted a goal. I said, No. I went back and I booked Bashan. I said, I told you not to take that like until I blew the whistle. I booked him and retake it, and he missed it the second time. The crowd went bananas, they went crazy and I, I remember seeing, I could see what was happening and I said to the linesman on that side, I said I'm going to give you a signal before I blow the wh- final whistle you run for your life and then I'll blow, when I see you running I'll give you a signal, then you run and we ran to the dressing room, again we were locked in there for two hours, we had to be taken out in a Casper and uh, John Shaburi, I hope he's listening great, uh, great friend of mine, but he was head of the security
0: that day if it wasn't for him We could have been dead so so tell me then where did you get the personal strength the emotional strength to okay fine the decision on the day is the decision on the day that you make because it's the right decision in the heat of the moment but after the game perhaps reflecting on the events of the day and maybe thinking about your own safety your wife your children where did you get the the emotional fortitude the spirit to say i'm going to go back and do a relegation battle next week or I'm going to go and do a Soweto Derby next week after what happened last week. Well, I did. I I, I would never, I never, ever, ever thought uh, about should I book
1: this guy or should I not book that guy? or Should I red card? Should I not drink yeah. And I never, ever thought of the consequences. The PSL security were excellent. They were excellent.
0: But did you ever think of getting out of refereeing? No. So, no. so, so, so what kept you, how could you just brush it off easily when others say, ooh, I'm getting a little bit worried now.
1: Uh, I, certainly one of the things that would have kept me going would be the, the knowledge that there, the security was there. Uh, if there wasn't security, and I can understand some guys in the lower leagues who are being threatened, mm-hmm. I can understand it there. Certainly at the Premier League level, um, it was, that wasn't a problem. But I would never do it. And the day, you, the day you have to think about that, and I remember chastising a referee one time that he should have sent off a player at the Rand stadium and I was the match commissioner. And I said, why didn't you send off that player? He said, oh, yeah, you know, I, I, I thought about it. And I said, well, that's the bloomin' trouble. The more you think about it, the more you'll find a 100 reasons as to why you shouldn't mm-hmm. do it. Just do your job. And, and I think that's what is a big problem today, even in English refereeing. They're thinking about the consequences of their action when they shouldn't be. And the players know that and will take full advantage. And that's their prerogative. It's our job to say, no, you're not getting away with that. That is wrong. It's a free kick. that we-. Look at what happened in Manchester United and Liverpool recently. Mm. When the referee gave a goal because um, he saw nothing wrong with the challenge with Van Dyke on De Gea, the goalkeeper. Saw nothing wrong with it. Play on, play on, play went on for another... F- seconds then Firmino scored that brilliant goal Mm -hmm. now suddenly Man United players are down his throat why did he back down? because he hasn't got the guts and guys like that who don't have guts who don't have backbone shouldn't be in refereeing because they're compromising themselves all the time and the players know it Hmm. and take full advantage
0: a wonderful note on which to leave it. I wish we had more time. Oh, my goodness. It's almost 10 to 9 here on KFM FM 95.9. Errol Sweeney, thank you so much for your time. How time flew. Thank you for joining us uh, at the home of the Afropolitan. And uh, safe trip back to Ireland. We hope to have you again soon in South Africa. You're very welcome. Thank you.
1: Rewinding,
0: Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.